0: Genesis chapter forty-six, um, beginning at verse one. I'm going to skip a couple of verses here, but we're going to look in chapter forty-six this morning as we continue through uh, five chapters to go. So, including this morning, five Sundays, five chapters to go, roughly, and uh, and then uh, we'll we'll be done with Genesis, and uh, we'll see what we'll see what's up next. So, Genesis forty-six. Genesis forty-six. Let's pick up at verse number one. So Israel, that's uh, the name that God gave Jacob. So Israel, Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. So uh, the brothers, the sons of Jacob, all these brothers of Joseph, have, uh, they've come down to Egypt. He's revealed himself, Joseph has, and he sent them back to get dad and all the family, bring them down uh, to the land Uh, uh, of Egypt. And so that's what we have here. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, whenever God says someone's name twice in the Bible, it's really important. And he said, this is usually what we, what what servants of God say, here I am. God summons, we respond. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry them. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt. Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his son's daughters all his offspring he brought with him into egypt and there's a list of all those names let's skip down uh skip down there uh, verse number 26 all the persons belonging to jacob who came into egypt who were his own descendants not including jacob's son's wives were 66 persons in all and the sons of joseph who were born to him in egypt were two all the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. I'll explain that in just a bit. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen. and They came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die. "'since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive.' "'Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, "'I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, "'My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. "'And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, "'and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. "'When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? "'You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, "'even until now, both we and our fathers.' In order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And to these words, all of God's people say, Amen. Well, think about the last wedding uh, you went to. You may have heard these words. Wilt thou love her? Comfort her, honor, and keep her in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others. Keep thee only unto her so long as ye both shall live. These are the traditional uh, wedding vows uh, in the English language. Maybe you've heard those words before or something like them. Maybe a little more uh, updated without the wilts and the vows and so forth, but you've heard something like them. This this traditional language uh, of, uh, of, of English weddings. Contrast those to, to these. I, I heard these, uh, I was listening to the radio recently and, and uh, I had to search this up to, 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 to find the YouTube video. Uh, there was a wedding when someone said this. Uh, they made their own vows. And one of the, uh, one of the uh, I can't remember if it was the husband or the wife, said this, I promise to be your co-pilot Your navigator to bring you snacks on our road trip through life. So now there's a great sentiment there, isn't there? Uh, It's expressing love, right, in in a very practical way. But just compare and contrast. You know, the the traditional uh, wedding vows to uh, to ones that describe one another as co-pilots, navigators, and uh, snack getters. Okay, as much as uh, husbands like to be uh, brought snacks or bought snacks from time to time, um, we, we have this great contrast here. Uh, why I bring that up is this. Uh, at, at the beginning of, the, of those vows, those traditional vows, uh, there is a statement of intent, and, and the groom is, uh, and, 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 and the bride are, are stating their intentions to enter into the state of marriage, promising, especially in that, in that vow, promising to forsake all others, to forsake all other men, all other women, everyone else, to be faithful to the other so long as they both shall live until death. Forsaking everyone else for that husband, that wife, until death. That's important to mention because marriage, as we know from the New Testament, is an allegory of the relation that Jesus Christ, like a husband, has to the church, us, like a bride. And if you have a Bible, you can just turn there. I'll just briefly mention this, uh, tied into our passage here in a second. But uh, in Ephesians 5, where, where the apostle says this, uh, just notice what he says there in Ephesians chapter 5, so the New Testament, sort of towards the middle of the New Testament, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, or the church in Ephesus Uh, He says there, uh, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25 and following, he's commanding your husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Right? It's no small task. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might, speaking there of his death, right? Uh, That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself. Right? Notice that not presenting anyone else, anything else, not another church, another people, no. The church, he's given himself for her. So that he might present the church, her, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish and so forth. Jesus has forsaken all others so that he might be faithful to us, the church, Until the end. And not just the end of our lives and then we go off into oblivion. No, until the end. Meaning not just the end of life and this life, but forever. The end of existence in the presence of Almighty God. The Lord himself forsakes all others. He even forsook his own life. So that you and I might be his. He might join himself to us. He might marry himself To us and be faithful to us. He's a faithful God. And even if we are unfaithful to him. Because we don't maybe have all the strength of faith that we should. uh, We are going to stumble and fall. We are still sinners as Christians. When we sin in our thoughts. When we sin with our words. When we sin with our actions and our deeds. Jesus remains faithful to us. He's forsaken others for us. Even when we forsake him. And he will... Bring us back to him. That's the great glorious gospel promise. Who will even bring us back to him and be faithful to us until the end. So our story begins here this morning. It picks up where we've left off, but it begins here with God speaking. The Lord is speaking to Jacob here in a dream, these dreams of the night. And notice how he identifies himself here. He says, I am God, the God of your father. I am God the God of your father. And then he says, do not be afraid. Here's the same God who spoke to Jacob's father, Isaac, and he said the exact same thing to him. And he spoke to Isaac's father, Abraham, speaking and saying the exact same thing to him. And now he speaks to Jacob. The same God spoke with his disciples as he walked upon the water of the sea, and they were afraid that it was a ghost, and that they were about to perish in the waves of that Sea of Galilee. But he said to his disciples, what did he say on the the sea? Do not be afraid, right? He also said, do not be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. The same God has been, had been faithful to Father Abraham. He made a promise. He kept that promise to, a, uh, to Isaac. And he's now showing that he's still keeping that promise to Jacob. And he's fast forwarding. He's the same God that we'd love and serve. This is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him, saying, fear not to his disciples, speaking to us, telling you and me today that he's forsaken all others till death and even beyond death for eternity. He will be faithful to us. He's been faithful through all the twists and turns of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's lives. He's been faithful to them despite the brothers, uh, Joseph's brothers' sins. He's been faithful to them despite Jacob's doubts and fears, trepidation. He's been faithful. He's the same God that you and I are. He's faithful to us. He's given himself for us so that we would be his bride. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you sin, that Jesus Christ is still faithful to you? Or is it that, well, you know, I, 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 I sinned, and I, you know, I've, I've got to re-baptize. I've, I've got to uh, re- be, be born again again. I've got to, uh, once again, I, I have to rededicate my life. I've got, to do, I've got to do something. Do you believe that? Or is it that God's promise is more powerful than your own sin? That's what we see here this morning that God is faithful, and that despite the sins, all the sins of these particular people, despite your sins, he is faithful. And you can take him to the bank on that. And there are three I will statements in our passage this morning. That's what I want to focus on. There are three I wills here that God speaks there uh, to Jacob. Notice, first of all, he says, I will make you a great nation. I will make you a great nation. He's reiterating the promise he made Way back when in chapter 12, when he called Abram from Ur the Chaldeans, chapter 12, verse 2, I will make you a great nation. So that same promise from chapter 12, and here we are in chapter 46, the same God, the same promise, the same faithfulness. Yet Jacob's family looks nothing like a great nation, do they? They look like they're on the brink of extinction here. They're riding on these little ox carts. They're going to a land that's not their own. They are living amidst a seven-year famine, and we're in the middle of the, the, now the third year. There's five more years of famine. They do not look in any way whatsoever like a great nation. In fact, they're going down to a great nation. They're just a piddly little ragtag group of nobodies. There's only 66 of them, verse 26 says, or 70. 70 is a symbolic number uh, that Moses uses, the Old Testament uses throughout uh, to maybe make sort of a round number. But there are 66 of them, 70, this symbolic number. All the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the the holy people, the whole church, the whole community, they are all there. All 70 of them, all 66 of them. And the Lord's making this confession here. And, And again, He says, "I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation." Verse three. He's making a confession. It's God who's preaching here. It's God who's confessing something here of what He's going to do, and He's doing this to draw out of Jacob some faith. Don't forget, uh, he was—he wanted to die. He had no faith. He had no trust. He was afraid that if, that, if, uh, that if Benjamin went down, that Benjamin would die and his other sons would be slaves, or vice versa, he would die and uh, they would be slaves and so forth. And if that happened, life was not even worth living. He has no faith. He's struggling here, just like he has from the beginning. The whole story of Jacob is a story of a, of a man who doubts and who struggles and who sins, but yet God is faithful. And so here he goes. He's going with his sons down to his long-lost son, uh, Joseph. But it's God who's preaching to him. Wanting to draw out of Jacob's heart faith in God's promise. He gives to us here a picture of what faith is. What is faith? What's faith? It's a, it's a gift from God, but what is it? What is this gift that he gives to us? When we unwrap it and take the wrapping and the bow off of it, what's inside the box? What's the gift of faith? Faith is the believer's response to the gospel promise. Faith is our response to God's gospel promise. Faith is our believing what God says. Faith is our trusting despite circumstances looking the opposite. That's what you got here. I'm going to make you a great nation. There's only six, six of us. Faith is our believing God in what He says, trusting in His promise despite circumstances looking the opposite. Faith is our receiving and its resting. In what God says about us, in contrast to whatever the world says about us, whatever my own sin says about me, our own conscience knows us better than anyone else, doesn't it? And despite what the devil says of us, faith is receiving God's word, God's promise, resting on that. This is what God says I am and who I am despite my sin. And in terms of what it means when when faith is our response to God's gospel promise, what does that mean in terms of receiving Christ? What is faith? Here again, Jacob is receiving, he's believing the promise of Christ, albeit in an Old Testament way, but he's believing the same things that you and I believe. He's believing in the same God that you and I believe. Faith embraces Jesus Christ with all of his merits, all the work that he did in the place of what we've not done. Faith appropriates Christ. It makes him our own. Faith seeks nothing more besides Jesus Christ. Now, we don't mean by saying that, that that our faith itself justifies us, our, our faith itself saves us. No, faith is an instrument. It's a hand that receives and grabs hold of that embraces Christ himself. You see, brothers and sisters, what God promised to Jacob is very similar to what he promises to you and and to me. That you may not see in the living color of your everyday life what God says, but you believe it. God promised a great nation to Father Abraham, and it's been now the, it's been two generations since Father Abraham. there's just 66 of them. And Jacob was far from the father of a great nation. But God said it. But God said it, and he, he rises in faith and he goes down. To Egypt because he believed the promise. He believed what God said about him and his and God's own promise and about Jacob and about Jacob's family and the extended family and about the becoming a great nation. He didn't see it, but he believed what God said. That's similar, I said, to what God, how God works with us. God promises to you. God says to you. God speaks to you all throughout his word. And we hear that word proclaimed to us this morning. And we, 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 we celebrate it in the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a visible word, St. Augustine said. It's a visible word. We get to see the word here. We get to hold on to the word, the promise, eat the promise. That Jesus Christ, all that he's done is yours. But what do you see if you look into the mirror? see that. You see what Martin Luther called a, as a bag of worms. If you stop and just ponder tonight, you lay on your bed for just 30 seconds before you doze off, you just contemplate your existence and think about who I really am, what are you going to think about? I'm a failure. What have I done? What have I not done? I'm a sinner. Why would God ever think about me? But then faith says, but yet God says of me, but God says of me that I am forgiven. All of Christ's righteousness is my own, so I'm justified. I can stand before God, the God that in and of myself, I don't deserve any good from him, but yet he says to me that I'm your father. And he adopts me into his family, he justifies me, and I can stand before him with full confidence. And it's like he says to you and to me, I will make of you a great nation. And we don't see that, but all we see is, we see ourselves, but yet we, we see Christ by faith. We see Christ by faith. When I was in college, I had a professor that had this little uh, sticker on his, uh, this slogan on, on, his, on his door, on his office door. And it went like this. There's only three lines. You can write them down. I'd just maybe write them down real quick because I'm going to have you do a, little, do a little something. But three quick lines. Those three lines are this. God said it. That's the first line. God said it. Second line, I believe it. You probably heard, maybe you know this one already. The third line, that settles it, right? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And I had another professor in college, the one that I gravitated more towards, uh, who liked to, liked to sort of rebel from time to time. And he, uh, he, took a, he took a Sharpie, and he walked by that office one day, and he looked at that thing as we were walking from his office, from his office uh, to class. And he said, what do you think of that sticker, uh, that, that, that slogan? And I said, yeah, it looks pretty, looks pretty good, you know. Uh, and he said, no. Pulled out a sharpie out of his pocket. I believe it. And he just struck it right through right on this other guy's door. God said it, that settles it. Right? God said it, that settles it. That's what God said here. He said that they would be a great nation. It didn't matter if Jacob believed it or not. That settled it. God said it. Thankfully, and God gave him the gift of faith to embrace it and to receive it. The same with you and me. The same with you and me. God promises us the world. He promises us eternal life. And all that that means. And your faith doesn't make it so. Your faith doesn't make it true. It is true. It is so, because God says it. One hymn says it like this. My faith has found a resting place. From guilt, my soul is freed. I trust the ever-living one whose wounds for me shall plead. God said it. That settles it. And So he says to Jacob, he promises to Jacob, I will make you a great nation. Doesn't look like that, but God said it. Secondly, I will go down with you, he says. The second I will, verse 4 there, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. Just a precious promise here of the presence of God. And as as we think about Jacob in the story so far of Genesis, He really needed this promise really bad. We've seen, and I I just mentioned it, but just to say it again, he has been so full in the story of doubts, fears, weaknesses, struggles in faith, and the list goes on. He sounds like some people that I know this Jacob, this this father of the faith. He sounds like some people that I know who doubt, who have lots of fears, who have many weaknesses, who have a lot of struggle. Whatever your doubt is, whatever your fear is, whatever whatever you doubt most about God this morning, whatever you're most afraid of in life, just imagine those things, holding on to those things in one hand, and perhaps your list is longer than someone else's, but it doesn't matter. You have, you have doubts, you have fears, you have obstacles in life, you have many struggles, many sins. They're held in one hand. But here the Lord is saying to Jacob and to you and to me as we, as we come into the story here, He's right there next to Jacob as he's holding all of his doubts and fears and, and sins and struggles in one hand. The Lord's right next to him. And so Jacob with his other hand puts his other hand around the Lord who puts the Lord's hands around him. That's the Christian. We walk through life with our sins but yet with the Lord who promises that those, those sins don't count against you. Everybody wipe them away. Stop thinking about those things. Stop holding them so close. Stop, being, stop walking after those things. Consider yourselves dead to sin, Paul says. Why? Because Christ has died to sin. Your sins upon the cross. And so, once again, this precious promise of the presence of the Lord. I just want you to go back to a couple passages here. Uh, chapter 31, quickly. Chapter 31. Uh, I want you to see how God has been saying this to Jacob many times. He needed to know that God was present chapter 31 at verse number 3, where he runs away from Laban, his father-in-law, verse 3, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and your kindred, and I will be with you. Again, at verse number 5 of that same chapter, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Skip ahead to verse 42, that Very same chapter. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and so forth. Look at chapter 35, verse 3. God said to Jacob here, uh, arise and go to Bethel and make an altar Uh, Jacob tells his household, verse 2, to put away all these foreign gods that they had taken out of Laban's house. Verse 3, Let us arise, go up to Bethel, the house of God, literally, so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. The story of Jacob has been that. The story of the presence of God with the chief of sinners. And you go back and read the story. I would encourage you to do this. You'll see all of his doubts, all of his fears, all of his sins, all of his worries, uh, all of his temptations, all of his fleeings and so forth. God has been with him at every step of the way. Never left him. Never left him. The presence of God. God's presence, uh, his his. There's his, God's power and his personal presence that are described in the scriptures as his providence, God's power and his presence, his providence. But it's me, speaking here of his, of his intimate concern for the daily needs of Jacob. And it would be met by his personal presence. What's fascinating is that uh, this very same promise, I will go with you. It's the same exact promise that... As you continue in the story, you get out of Genesis, you go to the next story, the book of Exodus. What did God promise Moses at the burning bush? The same thing. I am who I am, the God of your fathers. I was the same God to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I'm I'm the same God to you. This is the same promise that God showed the Israelites out in the wilderness as they left Egypt he appeared to them in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. That was his presence. Later on in Exodus chapter 40, when they built the tabernacle, that's sort of the precursor to the temple, this temporary temple, they built it, and, uh, and after they finished it, the first thing God does is God shows up and God goes into his own house. Fire comes down out of heaven. Cloud consumes the tabernacle, the visual presence of God. He was with them. And every time they took the, temple, uh, the the tabernacle down, the tent down, God went with them. They stopped. They reconstructed it. They built it back up. God was right there again. The Same thing. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. So just think about that. I mentioned a couple of Sunday nights ago in our in our evening series of sermons on God's attributes, who God is and what He's like. Uh, we talked about God's uh, God's presence a uh, few, few weeks ago, and um, on the one hand, God is everywhere. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. There's not a square inch of the universe. There's not a uh, any nook or cranny. There's there's no space uh, in an atom, or a, there, there's 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 no Uh, elements that's not being held up by God. God is everywhere. There's no far off corner and reach of the universe where we can say God is not there. He's everywhere. But he promises throughout his word to be present here, there, that place, this time, with this person, so forth. He says that to help us. Because we think of, you know, we know that God's everywhere. That's sort of a big generic thing. But then he particularly says, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be in the tabernacle. I'm going to be with you, this person, and that person, and that place at that time, and so forth, to help us, to encourage us. So was the Lord in Canaan with Jacob and his family? At the same time, was he, was he already in Egypt? Was God already in Egypt? Of course he was. He was God. But he says, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. He's saying, this is a way of him saying, I am going to be a stranger with you in a land that you do not know. It means that he's going to be with them in that land of Goshen. Uh, The Egyptians thought of uh, shepherds and farmers and so forth as unclean. That's why it says there in the very last verse I read, that strange little thing where, where Joseph says, you know, when the Pharaoh asks, what do you do? Tell me that you work with livestock your whole life because the Egyptians see that you're unclean. You, you can't be intermixed with them or else that will make them unclean. They, they can't serve their gods and so forth. And so God was already separating them from the Egyptians in this land of Goshen. And so God says, I'm going to be with you there in this land of Goshen. I'm going to protect you there. I'm going to be a stranger with you there. And it means that when the Israelites would come out of Egypt one day and they would move to the wilderness for 40 years, that God had already been with them in their suffering there in Egypt. It's the same promise that God uh, made to Daniel when Daniel saw his three friends burning in a furnace. When the king put them in a furnace to burn them, and somehow Daniel says, I see four people, or they said, there's four people there. There's Daniel's three friends plus this fourth thing, this fourth personage. God was with them in the burning furnace. It's the same promise that God would make to the Israelites when they, would come up out of, uh, when they would come back out of exile many generations later. The prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 43 this very same thing. So just, again, the, the promises that God made to the forefathers, he made to Moses and the Israelites in the, in, the, in the promised land, the same promises he made to them when they were in exile and they would come back. God is with his people, Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, speaking this to Israel later on, but he's using the imagery of going through the Red Sea, passing through the Jordan River, and so forth. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, think about Daniel and his friends, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. The last couple of Sundays, we've, we've, uh, we've uh, had... Uh, Wonderful, awesome opportunity to celebrate baptism. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 28? Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, teaching to observe all things that I command. What does he say at the end of that? That great commission, what's the last thing he says? I will be with you to the end of the age. Same God as the Old Old Testament God? I think so. Same promise? I think so. Same people, absolutely. I will be with you to the end of the age. Same promise to you and to me. So The the same God who was with Jacob, a, a man that we do not know. And we will only know him in eternity. A man that's so far away from us culturally and historically seems just like a distant memory. A guy in an old dusty history book that same God who was with that man is also, promises also to be with you. I will go down with you, he says, into Egypt, he's with us in the struggles of life, in the midst of our struggles and sins and burdens and worries and fears. He's with us. He's with us. I will be with you to the end of the age. And we can respond to that promise knowing that he's with us. There's a great, uh, there's a great old hymn and uh, the chorus uh, goes like this leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Paula knows that one from the, the Foursquare Church, right? We've seen that one every Sunday in the Foursquare Church, right? We've got to see that one again. <laughs> leaning on the everlasting arms. We can rest and trust in this great God. And then he also says, briefly, and finally, he's noticed this, this, this third I will statement again, verse 4, I myself will bring you up again. So up, so he's going to go down to Egypt, he's going to come with them, up out of Egypt. He had, he had told Father Abraham, all the way back in chapter 15, uh, that Abraham's descendants would be in a land that was not their own, they would be servants, they would be in Egypt. So all the way back when, God had already said this was going to happen. And now he's saying, I'm going to fulfill my promise to make you a great nation, I'm going to go down with you in my presence. I'm going to be with you the entire time, the, the whole 400 years of exile and, and, and slavery and suffering. And I'm going to bring you back up. The 66 little people are going to be turned to an, into a great nation. The God who was with them in their sufferings would lead them out of their suffering and the freedom of salvation. He would raise them up from the dead figuratively out of Egypt into the promised land, as he had told Father Abraham. He would give them new life, those who were near to death. He would breathe into them like a valley of dry bones and cause them to stand up one day. The promise to Abraham, this ominous promise that your descendants are going to be in a land of their own. They're going to be servants for 400 years. God is saying there's going to be a deliverance to that. There's going to be an end date. There's an expiration date of that exile. And I am the one who's going to deliver. I will go up with you. I will bring you out. I will bring you out. You see, the same God who made a promise to to Jacob and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to go down with you into this land of suffering and I'm going to bring you up out into the promised land. He's the same faithful God that that we serve today. This faithful God would do the same thing when all hope seemed lost. When his very own son hung upon the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This faithful God would be the same God when all hope again seemed lost, when his son in human flesh was dead as a doornail in a tomb with a great stone placed upon the opening, with guards in front, with a seal, the Roman seal across. No one is going to break in on the pain of death itself. But God was faithful to his promise. He raised up his son from the dead. He was with his son there in the tomb on the cross. He's the same faithful God who not only raised up our Lord Jesus Christ, but when you and I place our faith and our trust in him, we too are raised up to newness of life. We've got to hear this promise same faithful god to jacob is the faithful god to our lord jesus christ the faithful god to you and to me today amen? amen hebrews tells us at the end of hebrews chapter 13 jesus christ is the same yesterday because he kept his promise to our forefathers today because he keeps his promises to us and forever he will keep and continue to keep his promises hebrews thirteen fifteen. In fact, God is so faithful. To come back to what I said at the beginning. God is so faithful. The gospel promise is so amazing that God is faithful that the apostle Paul, Saul, Paul, could say these words. If we are faithless, he remains faithful Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, God remains faithful for because he cannot deny himself. So here we are today and whatever sin we're struggling with, whatever doubt we have, whatever burden we're carrying, whatever worry we have, whatever fear we have, whether it's internal to ourselves or someone in our family, the world in which we live, whatever it might be. It might be a theological thing. It might be a personal thing. We might have some kind of a worry, you know, whether all this stuff can really be true or is, there, or is it just like a house of cards, this whole Christian thing. But here's what God says. He says, if you are faithless, I will remain faithful. I can't deny myself. I can't deny myself. So we hear these promises again of God speaking to Jacob, these I will. I will make you a great nation despite you not seeing it. I'll go down with you into a land of suffering. I'm right there with you on those carts. And I'm going to bring you up again just as I promised. Just as I promised. You can take God's word to the bank, brothers and sisters and friends. What God says is true and that settles it. And So rest today. Rest today in your faithful God. Rest in his faithfulness. Revel in his faithfulness to you, to you of all people. Sinner that you are, rest, revel in it, receive it. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are so faithful. Uh, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, we pray. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. We give you thanks today that uh, we can hear your words. And now as we come to the Lord's Supper, uh, you give us this visible word. And as we, re- as we hear, as we receive by faith and the hearing, and as we receive by faith in the receiving of, the, of this Lord's Supper this morning, we pray that you would use these means uh, of our ears and our eyes and our hands and our, uh, and our senses of smell and taste, that you would use all these senses that you've given to us to to assure us today. To assure us today that what you say of us is most true and that you are with us in struggles and in great, great joys. Hear us, we pray. Encourage us, we ask. And Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus yet, would you move in their heart to give them the gift of faith to embrace Jesus, to give their life to him, to follow Him, to believe His Word more than themselves. We ask it in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen.